Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Even greater fools than those who say there is no God, because here are a group of men who say there is a God, who claim to know and believe in God, who are even representatives of that God, but they live as if God didn't exist. Their whole focus, their whole perspective on life is, is temporal. They're concerned about what men think of them, and, and they're, they're concerned about what they can get from others. And, In today's broadcast, we have a new two-part study from Pastor Sam entitled, Foolish or Wise. We are beginning Luke chapter 12, and this study will take us through the first 34 verses of this chapter. We will be considering Jesus' teachings on several topics, including his parable of the rich fool and his discussion about worry. So let's listen in. Luke chapter 12, we're looking at the first 24 verses this morning, title of our study, Foolish or wise. Luke 12, foolish or wise. As you find yourself the, your way to Luke 12, uh, let me share something out of Psalm 53. David writes, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. Every one of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Well, so much for the theory of man that we're basically good. We got a few bad apples, but even they can't help it. God says, no, inherently we are born sinners. And then we demonstrate and prove that he's right about us through acts of sin. And what he's laying out there is, is that, well, there are those who just say, well, I just don't even believe in God. God says that person is a fool. But I would suggest to you, the people we're reading about in Luke 11 and 12 and in this section, even greater fools than those who say there is no God. Because here are a group of men who say there is a God, who claim to know and believe in God, who are even representatives of that God but they live as if God didn't exist. Their whole focus, their whole perspective on life is, is temporal. They're concerned about what men think of them and, and they're, they're concerned about what they can get from others and they're concerned about well, everything and anything temporal, but they're not really looking ahead. They don't have God's perspective and we're going to see that that's a major issue for the Lord. If you lack God's perspective, you'll lack God's priorities. So even your prayers will be, well, misdirected and, and then your plans. Well, it all starts with a perspective. And so what our Lord does here in Luke 12 is he, first of all, exposes the foolishness of hypocrisy, of, of oppression, of, of greed, of being earthbound, while he extols the blessings of integrity and reverence and trust and contentment and faith and the hope of heaven. The context for the things we read here really was in our last chapter where Jesus had been accused of working by the power of Satan. He hasn't really gotten over that, we're going to see. And, and so he starts to deal with the religious leaders. We read there was a, an innumerable multitude of people that were gathering together so that they trampled one another. So this is the scene. It's just intense. It's, it's um, going to be exciting as Jesus has been ministering and the crowds are flocking in upon him. But he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered 
that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you've spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you've spoken in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. This word hypocrisy or the word hypocrite, it actually comes from a Greek word that originally had no negative connotations, unless you didn't like plays, because if you went to a play, they'd have four actors playing multiple parts, and they would use masks to change their, their you know, their, the person they were playing. So they'd have a mask that made them look all happy, or they had a mask that made them look all mean, or they had a mask that made them look all sad. But they were just wearing a mask. They were just playing a part. That's what Jesus says he sees in these religious leaders, these Pharisees, the very people who were accusing him of being in cahoots with the enemy, but actually were speaking for the enemy, as we saw last time in doing so. He says that, that their hypocrisy is like leaven. Now, leaven is used 24 times in Scripture, 11 times in the Old Testament. All but two of them are, are um, negative. 13 times in the New Testament, most of them are negative. And, and leaven, if you're unaware, it's just yeast. It's a good thing to know if you're going to bake. Because uh, we had a brother here some years ago, and we used to do a little fellowship dinner on Friday nights. And he made these things he called biscuits, but he should have called them hockey pucks or, uh, or you know, paperweights or even doorstops. They were hard as rocks. Why? For some reason, he didn't really get the whole leaven and yeast thing. And, and, and it's a really good thing if you're baking bread, but apparently not so good if you understand it in its spiritual sense. Well, why? Because... Well, leaven, it permeates completely. You mix it into the dough and, and you no longer see it, but then you get to see its effects. It's again, if you're baking a good thing, the bread begins to puff up. Spiritually, not so good because that's a picture of pride. It's a picture of the politician full of hot air, you see. And, uh, and so in bread, good. But in spiritual things, not so good. It, it permeates completely. It spreads imperceivably. And then ultimately, it, it overwhelms and overcomes. And, and so he says, take heed and beware. Be careful about the leaven of the Pharisees. In Mark's gospel, he says, take heed and beware the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. We don't have time today to go into all the things that they were mixed up about, confused about. But he says what they taught wasn't right. Here's the crazy part. They were teaching God's word. They were the only ones that had the word of God. But Jesus had to clarify, didn't he? He came and said, you've heard it has been said, but I say unto you. Well, the Pharisees were the ones doing the saying. The Sadducees were the ones doing the saying. So he's saying, be careful about false doctrine. Why? Because it will introduce itself imperceivably. It'll work completely and corrupt whatever it gets into. And, and then he says, take heed and beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And Herod, he says that in Mark's gospel, chapter 8, verse 15. The Pharisees, very religious outwardly, but inwardly, as Jesus showed last time and continues to show this time, corrupt, inwardly confused. Herod, he was absolutely a mess. He, he was... Um, you know, he had a religious background. He certainly knew about who God was. I mean, he was building the temple at this point. And, but the, the bottom line is Herod was completely corrupt. He was completely sold out. And, and, and so then he says, take heed of the leaven of malice and wickedness. Or actually in 1 Corinthians 5, 8, make sure you put away the leaven of malice and wickedness. And he tells us why in 1 Corinthians 5, 6 and Galatians 5, 9, he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Well, all of this is a warning to his disciples. Don't get caught 
up in or get taken, you know, in by these people because they look like something they're not. They're playing a part. They're wearing a mask. They're pretending to be something they just aren't. Well, he says then in verse 4, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after have no more that they can do. But I show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And yet not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. The first sin, the first foolishness that, that he reveals is, is that of the Pharisees, these hypocrites who they did what they did to be seen of men, to be thought highly of men, but they disregarded what God thought of them. Now he deals with one of our most basic uh, human experiences, and that's fear. And there was good reason he was warning his disciples not to fear men. You see, these guys were going to eventually be arrested. They'd be brought up on trial. They would die painful, horrific deaths for their testimony to Jesus. And so he, he's saying, listen, you, you can't be afraid of people, those who kill the body. You should have a reverence and a fear of God because he and he alone has the power to save or to cast into hell. So he's saying, I say to you, fear him. Now I was thinking back and looking forward. You know, in the book of Daniel, that Nebuchadnezzar, after getting the news that though he was ruling the world at that time, his empire would not continue. And he would be replaced. The Babylonians would be placed, replaced by the Medo-Persians, then the Greeks, and then the Romans. And so Nebuchadnezzar, in denial of that revelation, he builds this giant image, or has it built, and, and then they play the music and he says, I want everyone to bow down and worship my image. And if you don't, you're going to be cast into a fiery furnace. Well, Daniel's friends, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego just say, that isn't going to happen. Our God's able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, well, I guess either way, we're done with you. And, and, and so they are cast into the fiery furnace. Of course, they not only survive that experience, but they get to testify what it was like to be in the fire with Jesus as they look and see not three, but four walking around alive in the fiery furnace. But the issue there was worship. The demand was worship of an image, and really the man behind the image, the penalty for refusing was death. When you look forward, Revelation chapter 13, the Antichrist will be on the scene. We will have one world government. We will have one world economic system. Um, and by the way, the Antichrist will have an image made unto himself. The demand will be the same. The goal, the plan, worship the image of the Antichrist. The penalty for refusal is the same. These are eerily similar the penalty will be death for refusing to worship the image of this beast, this Antichrist. And by the way, the, the early church, they believed these things would happen literally and actually. And, and most of the prophecies of the Old Testament have been fulfilled. And those that have, have been fulfilled literally. Those that haven't been fulfilled, well, they too will be fulfilled literally. And so, you know, there, there was a time, it's called the Dark Ages, actually, but where the church got away from, well, believing that these things were literal or could be understood or that they would actually happen. So they started teaching, no, it's not real. It's just, you know, symbolic. Here's the interesting thing. There has been a, 
a return in the last century especially to the idea that these things are going to happen literally. And in our generation, this generation at this time, when we begin to talk about one economic system, well, it's not just like Bible thumpers and stuff talking about that stuff. The politicians are all talking about the need to recognize the global economy and how we're interrelated. There's something happening in Copenhagen in December where they're getting together to talk about the greenhouse gases and, and all of the different issues related to saving the planet and that area. And here's the interesting thing, is that they're looking to create a global government. It's not my idea. I'm not saying, oh, you know, this isn't some, you know, crazy idea. This is their plan in order to save the planet. And it's presented, and it makes kind of some sense if you see it from their perspective. I mean, what good does it do for us to reduce all of our emissions here in America if India and China and other countries are just upping theirs? No, it has to be a global agreement. And the only way to get that global agreement is to get the leaders of the various, you know, nations. And there's over 190 nations involved in all of this. And so it's just interesting that we're living at a time where this thing, don't be afraid of those who kill the body. Listen. The penalty once Antichrist is ruling and reigning for refusing to bow down will be death. So we see it in the past. We see it in the future. How does that play out? Well, most of us aren't threatened today if we share our faith. He'll talk in a moment about the importance of confessing him before men and the danger of denying him before men. But, but don't miss this. That we have opportunity just about any and every day to, to stand up and, and just say, hey, you know, I heard you say something. I just want to let you know that isn't what the Bible says. People are constantly misquoting the Bible or misrepresenting the Lord or, or confusing what he teaches with what people have taught about what he teaches. And, and, and he's saying, don't be afraid. Now, he's telling them, don't be afraid of death. But, but many of us are afraid of even just sharing our faith. We're afraid of what people will think of us. We should be more concerned what's going to happen to those people. And what God thinks of us, because he's given us life. Well, the, the bottom line is the foolish man fears man, but the wise fears God. That's what he's saying. The, the fear of the Lord, we know it's the beginning of wisdom. It is the starting point of knowledge. That's why people can be highly educated and very brilliant and, and come to such bizarre conclusions. Why? Because if the foundation is wrong, if the premise is wrong, if the perspective isn't God's, well, the, the, the end result can't be what God intended. The fool, and he mentions here, well, there'll be oppression and the fool oppresses the poor and helpless. The wise revere the Lord and care for the widow, the orphan, the needy. And then he says something that not everyone would agree with today, but certainly, well, I do and I hope you do, that your value is determined by what God thinks of you. You are of more value, he says, than many sparrows. Now, to most of us, that makes sense. Yeah, they're just sparrows. And by the way, Peter would hate this. He says five sparrows sold for two copper coins. Do you know that they sold them for food? I mean, it's, it's a sparrow. It doesn't look like much food to me, but, but they're really poor people. That's all the meat that they were getting. And, and what he's saying is you are of more value. Why? You're created in the image of God. You were loved by the one that made you separated because of your sin, but, but delivered, redeemed, forgiven because of his sacrifice. 
So, so our value is determined by what God thinks of us and our security is in his love for and his commitment to us. He promises never to leave, never to lose, and never to forsake us. Well, also I say to you, Jesus goes on, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will also confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Now he means to confess openly. And again, he, he's talking about just sharing that, that you believe in him and that, that he is the Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I've noticed that if you talk to people about religion, lots of people are cool with that. And if you even say, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Christian, they're fine with that. But when you begin to say Jesus is the only way to the Father, People aren't so cool with that, are they? And it's like, oh, you're just so narrow-minded. You're just a religious bigot. And what about all the other religions? Here's a simple answer. They're wrong. Um, not everybody wants to hear that. You might have more tact than I do, but I have less time with you know, those people than you might. No, the reality is you can't say, as some are trying to, well, I believe in Jesus, but I also believe in Buddha. I also believe in Muhammad. I also believe in, no, Jesus is the one that made the exclusive claims. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So when people say, well, what about, well, I just have to bring them back to, well, this is what Jesus said. And by the way, I'm confessing him in doing so. I'm confessing not just that I believe in Jesus, but I believe he is who he claimed to be and he did what he came to do. Well, you know, there are some in our day, as there have always been, who are more covert or undercover or secret agent Christians. Even Nicodemus, who interviewed Jesus, wanted to do it by night. There's good reason for that. He wanted it to be a private interview. I'm not attributing anything negative to him, but, but he was a secret covert follower of Jesus as was his friend Joseph of Arimathea, until Jesus died. And then they just came and said, hey, we want the body. We want to take care of him. Joseph of Arimathea actually lets Jesus be buried in his own tomb. And it, it, that's a very expensive item, by the way, in those days. Now, Jesus is only going to need it for a couple days, but Joseph doesn't know that at this point. And it's important to see it. They, they, they believe, but they were unwilling to share. And, and you may be in that same position. Now, he's not threatening you if you don't tell people about him, then he won't confess you before the angels. What he's saying is don't pass up this opportunity because, because if you know, if you really believe Jesus is who he claimed to be and, and that he alone can save people from their sin, you are going to end up sharing him. And by the way, if you're like, well, ah, I got to tell you, I've denied him. I'm worried about what's going to happen to me. Peter denied Jesus. He did it three times. He, he denied that he knew him. He even swore saying, I don't know this man. I don't know what you're talking about. But Peter confessed and repented and was forgiven and restored. This same guy who denied the Lord preaches Jesus on the day of Pentecost, confesses him before the masses and 3,000 people give their life to the Lord. So, so he's not saying if you've ever messed up in this area, you're done. No, what he's saying is, is think about it. There, there are many ways to deny the Lord. I have to tell you, there's never been a time in my life if you asked me that I wouldn't have told you that I was a Christian or that I believed in Jesus. At five years old, at 10 years old, at 20, at 25, at 40, I've always believed in Jesus. But I can tell you now that, that 
he was not Lord of my life till I was 27 years old. I always knew he was the Lord. He just wasn't my Lord. Why? Because I never submitted to his Lordship. I just gave lip service to who he was. I really did believe in him, but I never really gave my life to him. And, and so I would confess him with my mouth, but in my lifestyle and the way I lived, the things I did, the things I engaged in, I denied him. Hey, that's exactly what he warns us not to do. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They were saying the right thing, but they were doing the wrong thing. And so if you find yourself, well, thinking, hey, that's kind of me. Well, then you just as I did, you can repent. You can say, I've always believed in you, but in reality, I've never surrendered my life to you. I'd encourage you to do that today. Well, he goes on in verse 10 to say, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. That sort of nails that, doesn't it? But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the one who comes to testify of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of our sin. And when we blaspheme the Holy Spirit, we're, we are pushing away the only one that can bring us to Jesus. You see, he's the teacher. We're going to see that. He's the one who comforts us once we confess our sin. He's the one, Ephesians tells us, who seals us until the day of redemption. So, so he says, hey, if you've spoken against me, I'll forgive you that. But you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. You'll never be able to work that one out. And then he says, when, and when is the key word in verse 11, when they bring you into the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Listen, if you're a teacher, you need to know, you need to pray, you need to prepare, and then you need to preach the word. It's absolutely essential that you do those three things. Pray, prepare, and then preach. And by the way, I'm primarily a teacher, not a preacher. What's the difference? A preacher is someone who teaches with a view towards persuasion. And I am trying to persuade you. Now, I'm not selling Jesus or marketing Jesus, but I do believe that he is who he claimed to be. So I don't want you just to buy into the idea or believe intellectually or affirm verbally that Jesus is Lord. I want you to surrender your life. And, and that's the difference, the only difference between teaching and preaching. The only other difference, if there is one, would be that the instruction is to preach the word to make sure this is the stuff that's going out and being planted in the hearts of men. Well, he does say um, when they bring you in, don't worry about what you should answer. He's talking about his disciples being arrested and brought on trial. This, by the way, happens to them again and again, literally. So he's preparing them for something they'll face eventually. And he's saying, I don't want you to be afraid when it happens. And I don't want you to worry, well, I don't really have anything prepared. What if they ask me to share? Oh, they will. But when you get to share, he says, you can rely on the Holy Spirit. Why? He's the teacher. He'll bring to your remembrance the things he's taught you. He'll tell you things to come so he can reveal things that you've never even learned. But yet you do have to rely on him in those extreme examples. And the reason I share the difference is there are some who read this and, and they're like, well, I don't really need to prepare. I don't need to pray. I just kind of like, I, I just wait on the Lord and see what he wants to say. I'll tell you what he wants to say. He wants to say all this stuff. He wants us to preach the word and not just the pastors and preachers. He wants all of us to preach his word. And so he's saying, you can trust me 
to give you everything you need at the point of extremity. And by the way, an awesome thing happens. And he does say um, the Holy Spirit, verse 12, will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So you don't have to worry about what you're going to answer. As we consider the religious leaders who rejected Christ, it's a fair question to ask, what could they possibly have been thinking? But in the end, it doesn't really matter what they were thinking. There is only one truth, and Jesus is that truth. And whatever reason one might have to reject him, it's going to be wrong. Think of Proverbs 14:12, where it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. These ways that seem right to the world are very often disguised as ideas that are fair and compassionate and loving which is why many are taken in by them. However, anything that leads to the way of death is never going to be fair, it's never going to be compassionate, and it never will be loving. You see, a healthy understanding of the Word of God, a healthy prayer life led by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, will always help us see the way of death when it comes masquerading as the truth. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.